Okay. I'm going to read out of Ephesians chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And This is what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right. Um, I, I was thinking this morning that you realize this is not like a, it's sometimes easy to kind of come in here and just kind of perform and go through the motions. You come in out of your busy work week, out of the busy school week, out of wherever you came this morning. Um, you come in here and it's just kind of like, okay, it's time to put the game face on. It's time, time to kind of perform. Guys, this is not so much like a, like a theater in here. Uh, this is more like a living room. Uh, do, you, do you realize that in Christ Jesus, through the adopting power of the gospel and the, adopt, the sealing of the Holy Spirit uh, for the day of redemption, we have been bought with a price. We are now not only justified, but now we are adopted. And if we are adopted, that's family language. Uh, we're no longer in, in courtroom language. Uh, we're not in theater language. We are in family language. We have been brought into the family of God. We've been adopted as sons and daughters uh, into the family of God. Um, and so Paul is going to get into a list now. And notice that therefore in verse 25, this is going to be a response to what Jared has taught us in recent weeks about we are forgiven, we are justified, we are adopted, we've been chosen in Christ for the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Uh, Ephesians 2, we've been made alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved. Um, in response to all that, therefore, here is a list of, of behaviors or a lifestyle that we are to live in response to what God has done for us in the gospel. Um, and I want to spend a lot of time kind of introducing this because we can, I, don't, I want to avoid this uh, religion of, okay, here's what we do. We just do it like Nike. We just, we're just going to do it. We're going to manufacture these things in our own strength. That's not, that's, that's not uh, Christianity. Uh, the fancy word for that is moralism. And you know what isms do? They create schisms. They create gaps. Uh, we're not into moralism. We're not into traditionalism. Uh, we're not into this fancy, this asceticism of not doing things in order to earn merit, in order to earn God's smiles on us. We don't earn God's smile. God, God gives us His smile. Uh, that's, that's the gospel. That's Christianity. And so I, I want to start with uh, you know, a story. This, this past week, uh, I was uh, my company that I worked for uh, had a like a training seminar in St. Louis. Uh, the night before I got there, they they uh, hosted a, a game at Bush Stadium. And being a Cubs fan, it's kind of like like kryptonite. 
You know, I, I, and when I start getting about an hour outside of St. Louis, an hour outside the stadium, I start getting kind of weak. Start getting a little bit, my palms start sweating. And then and by the time I get in there, I'm just kind of nauseous. It's like, couldn't even hardly eat. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that, that was my experience. And then the Cardinals, the Cardinals won. It made it even worse. I think I was the only Cubs fan in the whole booth. But uh, anyway, that. The next day, we went to uh, the home office, and there we had, they had this auditorium. They brought in this, this uh, speaker. Um, his name was Dr. Jason Selk, and he was actually the sports psychologist for the St. Louis Cardinals for about six years. Uh, they brought him in the, in 2006 when they won their uh, World Series. It was like the first World Series for the Cardinals in 20 years or something like that. I don't follow, I don't follow him that closely, but uh, anyway... Uh, he, he got him thinking right, you know, and uh, he said a lot of things that were, that were true, a lot of truth in it. Uh, problem is, you know, he left out Christ as the ultimate solution. You see, what he, what he did was it was called relentless solutions therapy is what he went with, uh, religious solutions or thinking. And so what he did was he, he was a transition. He says, everybody naturally, we have this tendency naturally to focus on the problem. Uh, to focus on the negative. Um, and he used uh, some illustrations to, to, do, to illustrate that. He talked about how uh, a baseball player, it's a seventh inning, bottom of the seventh inning, your team's down a run, bases are juiced, bases loaded, guys on first, second, and third. For those of you who don't follow baseball, and even still that probably doesn't help if you don't follow baseball. But, <laughs> uh, but you get the idea. He's got two outs. It's a full count. He's in a contract year. He needs to perform, and here comes the pitch, and he swings and he misses. Now, prior to that, he'd, got, he'd gone two for two, been 100%. But he goes out to the field after he strikes out, innings over, gets out in the center field. What's he focusing on? Is he focusing on the two hits he'd just gotten before? Or what's he fo he's focusing on the strikeout. And he, his mind is wondering, and he's distracted, right? So all of a sudden, the, guy, uh, the next team comes up and hits the ball out in the center field. Uh, he's a step behind. And he's a guy that gives, he's a 100% effort kind of guy. He's a guy that's going to go out and lay it out. And he goes out there, and he's chasing this ball down, lays himself out. Ball bounces off the tip of his glove. He's an inch late, an inch behind. Why? Because he was thinking about the, the strikeout that he had just a few minutes earlier. Um, now, just imagine that instead of thinking about that, he was thinking about, okay, I struck out. Now, what can I do to make this better? What can I do to help my team? And instead of thinking about the strike, he's like, well, I got a glove. So I'm going to put my glove on out there. I'm going to contribute. I'm going to do something to help my team win this ball game. So he goes out in the center field, ball's hit, lays himself out, not distracted, makes a catch, crowd goes wild. And so it's that kind of thinking of replacing problem thinking, negative thinking with, with a solution, relentless focus on a solution. He says, within 60 seconds of a negative thought, do all you can to replace that negative problem thought with a, an opportunity or with a solution to make it right, make it better. Um, then he used an illustration about, uh, you all seen the movie Alive, it came out back in the 90s about the plane crash soccer team, they crash in the Andes Mountains. Um, well, here, there's this plane crash is based on a true story. Plane crashes in the Andes Mountains. Most everybody dies except for like 15 people. And this guy's name is uh, Mondu or something. I can't remember the guy's name. But 
The guy survives. He's looking around the cabin of this plane. All of his friends are dead. There's 15 of them still alive, and uh, they're covered in snow. So what he immediately does is he goes and starts clearing the snow off of them and everything like that, gets everybody ready. They begin to take inventory. That's what where he does first. So it would be really easy to focus on the plane crash, focus on the fact that a lot of his friends are dead. Uh, instead of focusing on that, he's, he's thinking, okay, well, here's how can I make this better? Uh, inventory. So I'm going around looking for any food. I'm going through grabbing suitcases out of here, all this kind of stuff. Gets all that done. A few days later, avalanche comes, blows everything out of the water. Now he's digging everybody out of the snow again, so on and so forth. More people die. Again, it's easy to focus on the problem, not the solution. And instead, he focuses on the solution. Here's what we need to do to keep going. And he ends up basically walking 30-something miles, this impossible situation, Yes, and it got to where he was moving like an inch an hour, just completely exhausted. And of course, in the movie, in order to, to survive for as much time as they had to do, they eventually had to uh, begin to eat one another. Uh, as can, they end up eating each other's flesh. And that's a big controversial part of the movie or whatever. But anyway, the point is he just keeps inching along, gets over to, the, to this cliff line, gets over the ridge, looks down, there's a rolling river down underneath, sees a guy on a horse, guy on the horse ultimately saves him, he comes out of the thing alive. And, and the, the speaker, Dr. Selk, talked about how, man, it had been easy to focus on all the problems, focus on all the negativity. Instead of doing that, he was focusing on the next inch, one inch at a time, forward. Just keep advancing forward, keep focusing on solutions. And uh, so, and that's what he talked about. He's like, when you, when you have this negative mentality, problems-focused mentality, it literally releases toxins into your body physically, and it literally leads to lower life expectancies and so on and so forth. He says it's proven. I don't know. He's the expert. I'm not. Uh, but you get the idea. You replace that. It actually increases your life expectancy, and it changes your life. And so there's a, uh, a lot of truth in that. You know, he says that we are naturally messed up, we naturally have this tendency to focus on things that are not right. Uh, I think he's right about that. We have a, we have a thought problem. We have a, a thinking problem. Uh, we are messed up. He's right about that. Um, and I do think that even affects the physical. It affects the way we live physically. It affects the way we treat other people, and so on and so forth. He's right, and tr it's true that we need a solution, and we need to think about solutions. The problem is that, and here's, here's the question is, is the, is the solution just putting your glove on and go out in the field and performing better out in the field? What happens if you don't perform in the field? What happens if he lays out and misses the ball even after he's thinking about solutions, even after his best effort? What if he still misses? What if he comes back to the plate and strikes out in the same situation again? You see how it can become a cycle? I'm just going to replace this. Yeah, I'm going to think positive. I can contribute. That is, that is tr There's truth in that, but what happens is it doesn't take you far enough. The solution, it falls short. And I want to tell you how all this kind of plays out with me. You know, the, the company that I work for, and this is just me and the sin in my own heart, and my own frailty, and my own sin, you know, there's, there's 10 different levels. You know, you've got these thresholds to get these different levels. And a few months ago, I was just thankful, man, I'm, I'm able to save some money. Been able to save a little bit more money, pay off some credit card debt, just content as can be. Now, all of a sudden, I've got this threshold. Boy, if I can get a certain number of households, a certain number of assets, I can get up here, and then I don't have to worry about those requirements anymore. I get that monkey off my back. 
So guess where my focus began to go? And guess where my contentment began to go with it? <laughs> so on and so forth. And, um, and so now I'm thinking, what if I don't hit it? Uh, or here's another thing. Someone I've known my entire life, they just moved their, uh, about a month ago, they moved their account to another town. And, so, and he didn't even bother to tell me. He called and told uh, my BOA. Didn't even call and tell me about it. It hurt me. And it didn't matter. I had the best month of, of my, of my uh, since I came on board. I wasn't thinking about that anymore. Instead, I was thinking about that one guy. And that's all I focused on. And, and, uh, and that's all, all the stuff that I'm going on in my heart. Now, I want to I tell you what I'm doing by focusing on all those things. And by allowing those things to, to control my emotions, allowing those things to control the way I treat my family, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm sinning. I'm sinning because I am discontent. I'm sinning because, not because I'm trying to replace negative thinking with positive thinking. My, my, my sin is not in that. My sin is allowing those things to control my heart and my mind more so than the beauty and joy of the Lord. It's called idolatry. Now, each of us in this room have idols that we struggle with. Those are some idols that I'm struggling with right now. And those are things that you don't just, okay, just replace those with a positive thought. Okay, I'm going to go put my glove on and go find another one. I'm just going to put my glove on and go call five more people. That's not the solution. Guess what? If those five people say no, and so on and so forth. You get the idea, right? The solution is not found in just, okay, putting your glove on and going out and performing better. That's, that is moralism. That is religion. That is a vicious cycle that will never satisfy your dry, parched, dehydrated soul. It will never satisfy. The solution is found in Christ. The ultimate solution is not found in being a better player. The ultimate solution is found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it goes like this. Yes, I struck out. Yes, I didn't hit my threshold. Yes, I might have neglected my children this week or this month. Yes, I might have been a jerk to my wife or to my husband. Yes, I have not been in my Bible for weeks or months. Yes, my Bible is, is dry as dry my prayer life is as dry as chalk. Yes, I gave in to lust again. Yes, I can't stop coveting and comparing myself to other people. Yes, I am envious. Yes, I am a narcissist on Facebook and social media. I want to look awesome to everybody. Yes, I'm a lazy sluggard. Yes, I tend to either enjoy gossiping or listening to others gossip. Yes, I am guilty, guilty, guilty. Yes, I am the chief of sinners. Yes, I am depressed. Now, what is the solution? Is it to try harder? Do better? It has everything to do with what you believe or don't believe. What is it that you need to be thinking about? What is it that you need to be dwelling on? What is it that, who is it that you need to be worshiping? Where are you going to go with all that stuff? Where are you going to go with all your failure? We're going to go with all your problems. We're going to go with all your negativity. We're going to go with your discontentment. Where are you going to go with your sin? Where will you take it? Going to put on the gloves, lace up your cleats, go take it to the outfield? Going to go work harder? Or are you going to take your little smoldering wick, your little bruised reed, your little mustard seed of faith, and obey Jesus Christ who says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, burdened, 
and I will give you rest. We need to change our thinking. He's right. Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, the Bible tells you and tells me to lose my mind in Christ. The Bible tells me to drown myself in the grace of Jesus Christ and the beauty and joy of the Lord. The Bible teaches us that our problem is not simply that we focus on negative stuff, though that may be true. The Bible teaches us that our problem is that we focus on anything but the Trinity. We stare at anything but the beauty and the joy of the Trinity. And the world teaches us that to where it's normal. Watch movies. Watch the news. What's normal? What's normal is to be cynical and dry and overly sarcastic and walk around with your teeth gritted. Nobody smiles anymore. It's not cool to smile. You just kind of walk around and just kind of, it's cool. You know, you're just going just gonna to be cool. So here I am, I'm cool. That's, that's the world. And that's normal. That's normal. You watch movies, you watch the news. That's what's cool. That's what's normal. But it, and, and you might be thinking, well, here's, here's the thing. Here, Jesus says we're to become like little children. How do, how, do, how do our children respond in this world? They don't have a word in the world. Silas last night, Daddy, let's play some pool. Let's play some basketball. He doesn't even know how to play pool. <laughs> doesn't have any idea. He just wants to take the ball and roll them into the holes. So I'm like, all right, let's just go roll them into the hole. He doesn't care. Doesn't care. Not a worry in the world. Now here, here's the thing. Some of you guys, like me, well, hey, it's, hey, I don't want to be naive. I don't want to be gullible. And Jesus says, no, we're to be wise as serpents. Okay, gentle as doves, wise as serpents. So you might be thinking, well, okay, it's hard for me to, be, to act like a little child and have the joy of a little child because I know what the way the world is. I know what the Bible tells me about me. I know what the Bible tells me about the world around me. And so it's, it's, it's hard for me to have that. How can I be joyful and happy when I know who I am and when I know who my neighbor is and when I know what's going on in the world? But again, here's your question. You're asking yourself the wrong question. The, wrong, the right question is, what are you focusing on? Who are you focusing on and thinking like that? You're focusing on you and the way you see the world around you. You're not focusing on Christ and the beauty. You might be like Martha who's running around frantically trying to do this, that, and the other, trying to please Jesus, trying to please everybody, doing all this, so on and so forth. You're working hard, putting your cleats on, putting your glove on, taking the field, yada, yada, yada. And all the while, Mary has chosen the right portion. She's at the feet of Jesus Christ. And what is she doing? She's doing nothing. She's resting. And she's chosen the right thing. That's Christianity. Not laziness, not sluggishness, not slothfulness, resting, fighting to rest. I believe that's what Jared said. Fighting to rest. Working to rest in Christ. To just let go of it. Rest in Him. So the question is, the solution is, the questions are, what is it that holds your mind captive? 
What is your heart chained to? What is it that is inescapable for you? What are you mesmerized and enchanted by? Here's a solution. We must repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you got to know, well, what is the gospel? You need to know the gospel. And by the way, I've seen it written before, the capital G, and not the lowercase g. Gospel, lowercase g, is good news. Gospel to capital G adds another whole dimension to that. Do you want to know who the good news is? God is the good news. God is the gospel. Who is it that made you alive together with Christ? Who is it that created you in the first place? God, 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 God. You know what the Bible is all about? It's about God, 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 God. It's not about you, 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 you. It's about God, 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 God. The best thing that we can do is to get over ourselves, quit thinking about our problems at all. Quit thinking about ourselves at all. Get lost in Him. Get lost in Him. We've got this field in our backyard, and it's a hill, goes down in the valley, sun sets over the horizon, it's beautiful. I watched my children run down to the bottom of that field, and what happened was, with the way the light was coming down over the trees is, they just kind of ran off into the light. They just disappeared out down in the, in the, in the light. That's Christianity. Except God is that light. In Him there is no darkness at all. Lose yourself in the good news. Lose yourself in God. So the, here's the biblical language. This is not Dr. Selk language. This is not sports psychologist language. This is Bible language. Who are we walking in? Just as you receive Christ in the Lord, so walk in Him. Who are we putting on? Putting off the old, putting on the new. Who are we tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Who are we imitating? Who are we delighting in? Who are we beholding? What are we hearing? What songs are we singing? You know all these things. Guys, here, here's where the rubber meets the road. Knowing and doing are two different things. Knowing and doing are two different things. You can sit here, we can sit here and have our, we can just, this has become a subculture. You know, we listen to all the right music. You know, we, we have all the right confessions. You know, we sing all the right songs. We have the right whatever. We're doing all the right things. And this kind of becomes like a little fantasy land. It's just another little arena where we can advance ourselves. God, may, may it never be. This is not a theater, guys. This is, this, is, this is a place to come. This is an altar where we, where we gather around as a family, as adopted children, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We gather around here, and we celebrate Him. A wedding feast. First miracle. That's every Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. Every day is the Lord's Day. So now with all that in mind, Paul is going to give us this list of do's and don'ts this morning. Not as like, okay, let's just put our gloves on and let's just go out here and, and lay out and just try to earn and make everything right. That's not what the, the point is. I wanted to introduce that so, to, to, so we can avoid that this morning. I don't want us to fall prey to those things, but I, but I want us to notice a few things in this letter that have already been said and has been said clearly. And I want us to notice the past tense language in some of these. Just here in Ephesians, okay? Look at Ephesians 3.17. Ephesians 3.17. 
And I want us to focus. Where, where does Paul want us to focus? What are we, who are we to stare at? What are we staring at here? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in sin? No. Rooted and grounded in negativity? Rooted and grounded in cynicism? Rooted and grounded in uh, the, I'm the chief of all sinners? Is that, is that the root? Though it may be true? I know, I know I'm a sinner. You don't have to tell me over and over again. I, I got it. And I, I got it. But what are we rooted? We are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. That's the root of Christianity. That is the root of your soul. That is the root of joy. That is the root of liberation. That is the root of freedom. It's outside of you. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That's the only hope I have. It's not in playing, getting it done out in the outfield and getting it right for my strikeouts. That's not, that's not it. I am rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Here, listen to what John Owen says about this. For those of you who don't know John Owen, he's one of the most brilliant minds, gifted minds, that has ever walked this earth. He's an old Puritan, brilliant. He has written volumes and volumes of books that it would take me probably a lifetime to get through them all. Okay? John Owen says this. He says, The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, capital F, your Heavenly Father, the greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. How atrocious it must be. What more can he possibly do to demonstrate his love for you while you were yet a sinner? What more could he possibly do to demonstrate that? The greatest disservice that you can do to him, the greatest unkindness that you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you because he says, look at what happened at Calvary. Look at what I did for you. Look at the life I lived for you. Look at the scorn and the humiliation I endured for you. Look at the wrath I drink down for you. Look at the riches I gave to you, the inheritance. What more can I possibly do to demonstrate my love for you? And you wallow around instead in the sin that Jesus died to set you free from. You wallow around in the unbelief, the discontentment that Jesus Christ has set you free from by choice. And you call it spirituality. We just sit around here and we just kind of throw up on each other. Oh man, I am so sinful. I am so wretched. How can I do this? I can't ever grip him. I can't ever get to him. I fail, I fail, I fail. I strike out. I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. Shameful, shameful, shameful. Depressed, depressed, depressed. Over and over and over again. Who are you staring at? You, you, you. Me, me, me. Not him, him, him. The greatest sorrow and burdens you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. And if you think walling around in your sin and preaching that you are a sinner over and over and over to yourself as a Christian maturity, you are mistaken. That is not Christian maturity. It's true, you're the chief of all sinners. Not the end of the story. 
We are not to be rooted and grounded in that identity, even though we are more sinful than we could imagine. And Paul understood himself to be the chief of all sinners, but that is not what he anchored his soul to. That is not where he was rooted and grounded in. J.I. Packer, knowing God, great theologian. This is a mind-blowing little couple of sentences here. Listen to this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. We got justification down really well, guys. That's not where it ends. That's where it begins. We go, we've, been at, we've been justified into adoption. Justified and adopted into God's family. The judge not only slammed the gavel down and justified us, the judge actually came down out of his judgment seat, came to us, embraced us, and brought us into his family. Don't lose sight of that. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, in response to that, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Ephesians 1, let's give some context here. Ephesians 1, we've been chosen before the foundation of the world, adopted into Christ, predestined for a great inheritance. Ephesians 2, made alive, gifted faith, His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, therefore. Not staring at the outfield, not staring at our performance, we are staring at what God has done for us and who God is for us in Jesus Christ. Not a landlord, making sure our house is all, are all cleaned up, not a business relationship. He's not bound by some contract to tolerate you. That's not the gospel. He's a father. Father, family. Inclusion. And here's the truth of the matter is, I, don't know who, I can't know myself apart from these things. Because Dr. Selk is right. The secular psychologist is right. I'm messed up. I have a tendency to think the wrong way. He's exactly right. He knows it. Secular psychologists understand this stuff. Doesn't know what to call it, where, where the root of it all is, doesn't know the proper solution. But man, I messed up. I, don't, I can't know who I am apart from the truth that comes from God's Word. The, this is great news. This is life-changing kind of news. You are not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. He has rights over. Is he not your creator? You are who God's word says you are. So who does God say that you are? What does the Bible say about these things? You are a child of God. You are a child of God. Look at 5 verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children, imitate your father. Ephesians 4, 23 and 25, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. 
you have been restored to proper image bearing again. This is what you were made for. If I took my, my vehicle outside and drove it off into the lake of Egypt because I wanted to go jet or, uh, water skiing with it, what's going to happen to it? Not going to work out very well, is it? It's not designed to do that. Now, if I had a ski boat, then it would be a totally different story because a ski boat's designed to do what I'm wanting it to do. Guys, we are not designed. We are designed. We've been created after the likeness of God to put on the new self to live the life that we were designed to live as worshiping image bearers of God. And staring and worshiping at other purposes and other things and staring at ourselves and our performance and whatever, anything but Christ is idolatry. Ephesians 4.32. Actually, I'm sorry, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is getting into our text here today. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God's beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You guys ever hear the Jimmy Fallon, Donald Trump impersonation? Huge. This stuff is huge. This is huge. This is huge stuff. What does the gospel do? What the gospel does is it restores Eden. That's what it does. The paradise that we lost at Eden has now been restored in Christ. What God is doing around the world is He is under, undergoing a, a massive global restoration project. And it's happening through the church. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is covering the earth as the waters cover the deep. It's happening. It began at Pentecost. It just continues to spread out from there. It's going out to all the different nations. And this is what missions is all about. If you think this life, that your life is little, that this life is just all about you and ends with you, how it's pitiful. You are a part of something that is infinitely larger than you. God is restoring Eden. He's restoring this all across the face of this planet. And what we need to do is just get over ourselves and lose ourselves in this amazing thing that's happening all over the world. Do you think Trump and Clinton are somehow undoing the sovereign plans of God? Do you think so little of your God? That Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, guys, they're, they're clay. He's the potter. What are we focusing on? What, you, think, you think God's not ever seen somebody like that before? You think these guys are, are bad leaders? Uh, let me take you back to Nero when Paul wrote Romans. You guys remember that guy? He burned Rome to the ground. and supposedly, He was insane and he supposedly played a dirge on his harp or whatever they had at that time, while he did it. He sang with flames reflecting in his eyeballs. That's Nero, and Paul writes Rome, and he says, submit to the authorities. We've seen harder times than these, guys. The, the gospel doesn't end with the United States of America. 
The gospel is a, this is a global project that God is under, undertaking and that we are a part of. Our brothers and sisters all over the planet today are worshiping the same Christ all over the world. And we're participating. We're all on the same type of thing. Now, do you want to know where the church is growing the most right now? It's growing the most in, in China. It's growing rapidly in India. It's growing rapidly in the Eastern Hemisphere. You know what else? Now, this is just shows you the impact of the gospel, what Paul's getting at here, how the gospel impacts our behavior. It impacts every facet of our, of our lives. The middle class is increasing in China. The middle class is also increasing in India. As the church grows. Guys, it's not, it's, prosperity is not always evil. When you read through the Proverbs, it's got a lot of negative things to say about riches. It's also got positive things to say about it. Wisdom brings it about. Heaven is going to be filled with riches beyond all we could possibly imagine. It's not because heaven is just going to be this utopia experience. It's because there's going to be sinless wisdom there, sinless ingenuity there, sinless creativity there forever and ever and ever. And prosperity comes with that. Good things happen when we obey God. God's, when we do things the way God's designed it, you won't have any more laziness. You won't have any more corrupt talk coming out of your mouth. You won't be speaking falsehood. You won't have to hide anymore. We submit to one another out of love. This is, this is the language that Paul's talking about here. Be angry and do not sin. Where the gospel is and the gospel is understood and the gospel is embraced and Jesus is embraced and worshipped, guess what? There's no more sinful anger and wrath anymore where that spirit is. Instead, it's replaced with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's what happens where the gospel is. Now, where all those things are present, guess what happens? Is that, is that a city you want to live in? Absolutely. I've been to India twice. What blows my mind, it's overwhelming. It's the most overwhelming place I've ever been in my life on, a number, on every level. Spiritually, poverty-wise, everything. But one of the things that stood out to me was the center that we went to, all around it, it's just filth everywhere. All around it, people are just laying around, um, just disorganized. It's just, you got, you, you'd be driving down the street, you could have a tractor coming at you, a bus coming at you, uh, rickshaws coming at you, bicycles coming at you, all at the same time. Motorcycles, 16 wide, I'm not kidding you coming straight at you. And they just drive right through it like it's normal. It's chaos. And then you get to the center and it's organized. And it's not a mansion. It's not this you know, street of gold kind of place. It's a very modest facility. But you get there and you've got these children and they're working. They're sweeping. People outside the compound, they're laying in the streets. Just laying there doing nothing. You go in there and you've got little children sweeping and gardening and doing all these things. They're up at 5 a.m. sitting on a concrete floor with a lantern. They're worshiping and they're praying at 5 a.m. before the sun comes up. And they're raising up church planters. Uh, these children come up, they go out into professions, they go out and plant churches. It's an incredible place to see. But it's, the way I can describe it is this is like a city on a hill. And Jesus says that of the church. You are a city on a hill. So all around is this darkness, disorganization, laziness, Political crazy, radical Hinduism, idol worship. You come in here and it's like this, this city on a hill. And in this city on the hill, here's what, it, here's what it is and what it isn't. 
no falsehood. We're speaking the truth with his neighbor. We're not hiding. We're submitting to one another, which is totally unnatural to the human condition. Verse 26, we're angry, but we're not sinning. Uh, maybe it could be a righteous indignation that's going on here. We're not letting the sun go down in our anger. And guys, married couples in this room, take it from me. I know from experience. I know what happens when the sun goes down on, on anger in a marital dispute and you don't deal with it before. It can tend to linger for days and weeks and it's a horrible thing. Just get it nipped in the bud, go to sleep, and be done, be done with it. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's going on in the city? Working and giving. Working and giving. All the time. Uh, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, uh, that it may give grace to those who hear. So what happens when God speaks? What comes out of his mouth? Grace comes out of his mouth. Listen to what Jeremiah says here, guys. I'm almost done. Jeremiah 15, 16. When your words came, I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. So are we building up or are we spraying sewer water everywhere? The result of grace's speech is what? What does it bring about according to that passage? Joy and delight. When your words came to me, they're attractive. I hunger for them. I want to eat them. They satisfy me. Jesus on the walk to Emmaus, or the disciples on the walk to Emmaus, after Jesus opened up his mouth and taught them, he said, they said, did, did our hearts not burn within us as he opened his mouth and taught us the scriptures? That's what the city of God is like. And by the way, don't, don't be afraid to encourage. Don't be afraid to encourage me. Don't, I t here's what tends to happen to me is I'm afraid to give somebody, I will, I will withhold encouragement because I'm afraid I might puff them up or something or I might make them prideful. I'm not asking you to flatter me, but guys, let me tell you something. I, I love a good word of encouragement. You have permission to give me encouragement. I, I enjoy it. And guys, I'm going to give you encouragement too. We need to encourage one another, build one another up. That's what's going on. The citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that's what they do. That's what it's like in Eden. That's what it's like in, in the city of God. We encourage one another. Uh, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't choke Him. Don't starve Him. Rather, fan Him into flame. Spirit of joy. Pure joy. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Roll it away. Throw it in the river. Now here's the question. I, if all these things were absent and only gracious words were there and only the fruits of the Spirit were there, would that not be a city you'd want to be a citizen of? Be the greatest city on earth. It would be a new heaven, a new earth. It would be a new Jerusalem. And guys, guess what? It's coming. It's coming. That's hope. Guys, are we, are we entertaining those kinds of thoughts? Are we pondering the great inheritance that we have in Christ? Are we staring at all of these things? Are, we, are, we, are His words coming to us? Are we eating them? Are we thinking about all these realities? These are truths. This isn't fiction. This is what's happening. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem coming down. And guys, the citizenship there is going to look a little bit different. 
It's going to look a little different in New York City. A little different in St. Louis. They're going to look a little different than Carbondale. But guys, guess what? It's happening. It's expanding right now. And it will be successful. It will be successful. So, guys, quit thinking about the thresholds. Me. Let's quit thinking and dwelling on thresholds. Let's quit thinking about on what we don't have. Let's quit coveting what our neighbor has. Let's quit thinking about ourselves at all. Let's loose, let's allow the things of this earth to grow strangely dim and the light of his glory and the light of his grace. That's Christianity. That's pure and undefiled religion. I love it when Jared tells me that I'm forgiven. I love it when he said, you're forgiven. You are forgiven this morning in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you were, all the failures that you're going to have tomorrow and this afternoon and the day after and the day after and the year after and the year after. In Christ Jesus, it is finished. Past tense. Done. Therefore, Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now, not later, now. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation right now. So the gist of all this in here today is we are a child of God. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Put away all this garbage. Put away the slavery. Put away this death. And walk in the fragrance of life. Breathe them in. Walk in Him. And when your plane crashes in the Andes Mountains of life, and then the avalanches come, and then whatever, relentlessly run to Christ. Relentlessly. There's your relentless solution. Relentlessly run to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are... Uh, we are unworthy. We are more sinful than we could ever possibly begin to imagine. But your steadfast love endures forever. God, I thank you that we are rooted and grounded in love. God, I pray that we would realize that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That we, would not, that we would stand firm then and not return to a yoke of slavery. God, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. God, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, it is finished. Father, I, we believe, help our unbelief this morning, God. God, just damn our unbelief. Remove it from us. Help us to believe that we are your children that you rejoice over us, Zephaniah 3.17, with loud singing, that you sing over us as your children. God, I pray that we would become and, and behold this wondrous mystery, that we'd lose sight of ourselves. God, that we'd lose our minds in you, that we'd drown ourselves in you. 
God, teach us to pray. Teach us to worship. God, I pray that you'd be, uh, Father, that you'd receive joy out of your children singing to you. God, we are all just toddlers in here. We're all looking through a glass dimly lit. God, none of us have it together. None of us has perfect understanding. All of us have problems. All of us have negativity. All of us have sin and discontentment and idolatry. But God, here as we sing, we're going we're gonna to bring them all and crush them on the altar. God, we're coming to you just to rejoice in you and to think about you. God, transform us by the renewing of our minds. In Christ's name, amen. Let's run to Christ together.